G'day guys and welcome back to the Coach Mark Carroll podcast. Today is going to be our part two of my conversation with Kasim Hansen. So part one, obviously, if you haven't listened to that, go listen to that. And then this episode is a great one. We really talk a bit more about glutes in detail, exercise selection for glutes, what we're kind of looking for, things like short and verse length and base exercises, as well as we discuss the CAS glute bridge and exercise. I'm sure many of you have been using, if you followed me, the CAS glute bridge has a pretty long, long story about how it kind of got started. People seem to either love it or hate it, especially the name of it. So the Cass Glute Bridge was an exercise Cassim created or his interpretation of a bridge slash thrust. And then I was the one who actually named it the Cass Glute Bridge. So we discussed that and how it can be quite polarizing. So enjoy episode part two with Coach Cassim. Something I want to talk about is glute exercises. And this is something, obviously, that has been pretty interesting the last few years. And I actually went to do a podcast on this a while ago and I posted, I, I forgot to post it. So this is kind of my thought processes and you can you can let me know what you, your thoughts are. So I remember a, a while ago, everyone was kind of saying, well, what is a good exercise or what's a bad exercise? And, you know, I was, I was posting a kneeling squat being in a crappy exercise and and various other exercises being crappy or not not terrible, but they're just not great exercises. And, you know, a lot of people are saying, well, it's bad. Don't talk, you know, about exercises, bad exercises. You know, it's like every exercise has a job and stuff like that. And, yeah, that's true. Like, obviously, if it's not hurting you and, and things like that. But if I'm trying to build the best glutes possible for a client, right, let's say we've got, 10 at glute exercises, 10, 10 are really good. And then you got your, you slide the scale outside the t- 10, 10 to 15, not so great. And then 15 to 20 and you know, the, the, there's endless glute exercise, but you know, they're going to be not all that special unless a lot of the gimmicky ones. And so if I'm trying to get the best result possible for a client, I would ideally, you'd think for optimal results, be trying to choose if you got choice of three or four exercises Ideally, choice one, two, three, four. But now, obviously, not everyone's going to love maybe choice two or choice four. So then you kind of just do a sliding scale. You might choose choice five and choice six, but you're still going to be doing the bulk of fantastic exercises and then two or three that might be still very, very good. But something I found these days is that people get really upset if you say an exercise is not great or something like that. But... That's all right if you're choosing, say, you've got four exercises and you're choosing one, two, and three, and then you're choosing, say, the 11th or 12th. It's not the end of the world. But I think something these days is you can't say anything about an exercise negatively because then it's it's not a good thing. But if you've got someone who's choosing the 12th exercise, the 13th exercise, the 14th exercise, the 15th exercise, yes, they're still doing four glute exercises. So you can say, well, they're getting their volume in, they're doing, you know, they're training, they're training hard, you know. But from a results standpoint, if your collection of exercises are all pretty suboptimal, your potential to obviously grow your best glutes is going to be probably not as great as someone doing the best four. And so for me, it's always like, all right, well, I – I want to be choosing ideally the most optimal, but I know a client might not love 
or all those. So you give them a little bit of that, but the goal is probably not to give them the 25th best one. So my focus is how much of the best can I give them? And then the variation for me, I, I don't love just choosing a different exercise for the sake of it, just for, for mm-hmm. because of boredom. I'd rather do, if anyone's done my programs, it's, I, I like to manipulate tempo. I like to do a pause or a phase in that exercise, you know, manipulating tempo on that same movement or a rep range can, can cr- keep that same exercise or key movement pattern actually really, really interesting. You don't have to change the exercise completely to keep a client excited. So where on the scale of obviously trying to choose optimal, do you balance out? Well, these are the best, but I know my client doesn't love everyone. Like how detrimental do you think it is choosing things that aren't totally probably in your top, top few exercises? I mean, I, I have a pretty extensive library of exercises at this point that I would say are the, that, that are high quality. So it's like, it's very, very rare that I would ever like in any of our programs that we would step out into the side to something that I would look at is like low quality. Unfortunately, I think glutes have, because it's just, it's a fad based muscle where people just like started just doing like every little thing that they could is that there's disproportionately more like just fluff made up. They're, they're more, they're drills. I wouldn't even call them exercises half the time. Right. Um, you know, for glutes than there are for, for other things. Right. Like, I mean, you know, like how many, how many, how many, like just ridiculously bad bicep exercises have you seen people come up with? Right. Like even like the, you know, people are doing like the weird, like they're doing the plate curls and things like that. And it's like on the grand scale of things, I mean, those aren't great, but I mean, at least you're still loading elbow flexion and stuff or whatever. Where with glutes, sometimes I'm like, that's that not even like even remotely like loading the thing that we want. Um, and so I think there's going to like, you have to find that balance or you have to have your line in the sand. Basically, I would say, it's like, look, these, these are the standard of exercises. Like, this is how low I'm willing to go on that list. And I'm not willing to go any further, like down that, down, you know, like at, at that point in time, I'm now doing you a disservice by, let, by having you do my program, like, cause you signed up for my program because you wanted to get a certain result. And there's going to be a threshold where it's like, Hey, if you can't do any of the exercises that are within this and you have to do these things that are lower quality than that, then you're not going to get the type of results that I would associate with my programs and what I want to deliver. Right. So you, you just have to have some standards. Like it's what I would say is like, if that's, if that's where you're at, it's like, you have to know like, okay, here's what I want to go for. Here are, I would say, and what you have to do is you have to be like kind of specific of like, okay, these glued exercises they work like this portion of the glute so they can suit that goal. So it's like, there's like, say now you have basically you have three good ones that can be substituted for one goal. And then you got three more that are substituted for another goal. And then you got three or whatever, right. Rather than just having it as like, Oh, what's like one big list. Um, So then it's like, you could be like, okay, if somebody is using the right substitution, I think that, that helps, right? If it like in terms of like, okay, you know, you don't sub out, you know, a hip extension exercise for an abduction exercise, right? Like you sub it out for the best hip extension exercise that they can do that would be replacing the primary thing, right? And I think if you do that and you have a threshold of how low you're going to go, then you're probably going to do pretty good because the substitutions are still going to be goal specific and they'll never get 
they'll never get too off in terms of from an efficiency of stimulus standpoint, right? They'll still be, they'll still be productive. Right. And the other thing too, is, is, you know, if some, if people don't like an exercise, why is that? Right. Is it because they don't feel it well? Um, so how much of that is, you know, maybe they don't set it up well, they need better cues technique, you know, like, so give, giving people the best opportunity to succeed with the top exercises, I think goes a long way. And then trying to get people like, Hey, maybe you've tried this before, but what I want you to do is look at, look at how I'm setting up this exercise. Look at the cues that, that I'm giving you, the rep ranges, the tempo, all of those things. And I want you to give it another shot and be open-minded that like these small variables might, might be the thing that takes it from before you didn't feel it right or it hurt your this or that to all of a sudden, like now that now you have a great experience in this exercise, right? Because, you know, you moved your toe in a little bit or whatever the heck it may be, right? It's, that's one of the cool things about the biomechanics thing is it's like, you can, there's, you know, take something like an RDL. Nobody can agree on what an RDL is, right? Like how straight do the knees need to be? Does it, you know, do you bent knee? Like, can you touch the floor? Like, like there's all these things that people can argue about or whatever. Right. But if you know what a person's trying to get from that, from a biomechanics perspective, you can be like, look, it doesn't really matter what the name is in the spreadsheet. But if I teach, if, if my instructions on how to do it are actually going to help you feel it where you want to feel it. Right. And get progress where you want. Right. So it's like, okay, if it's for glutes, I'm going to have them bend their knees a little bit more. If it's for hammies, I'm going to have them keep their knees a little bit straighter and do those sort of things. Right. And all of a sudden just adding that specificity might take it for somebody that was like, yeah, I never felt RDLs in my glutes. So like all of a sudden now, Oh, now I feel them in my glutes, but because maybe before they were just keeping their knees really straight. And so they were always just feeling like this insane hamstring stretch because that's the way they learned RDL. So every time you see it on the program, that's how they would do it. Right. So I think you got to, you got to set people up to be as successful as possible for those exercises, the way that like those exercises being done in the way that's actually directed towards that goal. Right. Cause it's, I mean, I mean, how many ways are there to, to squat, to hinge, to do a kickback, you know, thing like there's so many ways to do this and, you know, people are going to bring in whatever bad habits and opinions that they have on this stuff. So you kind of got to get, you got to get people to buy in and give you a clean slate and really try the exercises as, as you coach them. Yeah. Cause Something I tend to find is, especially when I talk about an exercise being probably not as optimal and optimal again, a, a wise statement, but, you know, we're, we're, when talking of you know certain exercises, I'm sure you find people get quite defensive and then they go, well, you think this exercise is crap. And I might think, well, it might be exercise 20 to 25 on the best glute exercises. And they say, yeah, but this built my glutes. But I always think then I ask them, well, did you do this glute exercise in isolation? Was that the only one you did? And then it generally is, well, no, I did ex exercise one, two, three, four, five, six. And so I think a lot of times people don't realize that it isn't that one exercise that generated that growth or if it is or if it there was one or two key exercises it probably wasn't that that kneeling squat that generated that those hypertrophy adaptations that you're getting so defensive about and that's why I, I find people get really attached to certain exercises because they think well i did this exercise and i got results but was it that exercise or could you have potentially even got superior results if you didn't waste that volume towards that exercise? And 
create more fatigue or you could have put that volume towards a better exercise. And it's just one of those things that, for example, let's use a bandit. Yeah. Oh, well, I did banded um, circuits and I grew great glutes. So you saying you don't do them anymore. Well, aren't you doing disservice? But did you do a banded circuit? That was the reason for your growth? Or was it the fact that you squatted, hip thrusted, RDL two, three days a week for the last three years? And then you did three minutes of a, of a banded circuit. So I think often, especially people who aren't as well educated, kind of get a, don't quite grasp what was causing the result. You know, it's kind of like, well, if you look at nutrition, hey, I lost weight. I, I had a protein shake and then all of a sudden I lost 20 kilos. Was it the protein shake or that you actually got in a calorie deficit for the first time? And we're, we're, when it comes to training, I think, for me, it's always pushing people in the in the right direction of trying to understand what is probably going to do the best job and what probably isn't. So can we push people to going towards biasing the more optimal, what we probably think, and if you want to do a little bit of that. But yeah, it's just I just find people get so tied to something that they've done despite it not being in isolation. Mm-hmm. I think an important lesson to teach people is, is that, you know, what worked best yesterday isn't necessarily what will work best today. And what works best today isn't necessarily what will work best tomorrow. I mean, obviously that's a shorter time scale than what we're talking about. Um, but I mean, especially, you know, if part of your journey is you're seeking different programs or different coaching or whatever, like if the thing that you, you know, if this thing worked so well, why are you seeking a new program? Like, why wouldn't you just, just do that do that program forever. It's the thing it's, you know, but that's not how that works. Right. Um, so even if the reality was like you did a particular exercise and it gave you tremendous results for a period of time, that doesn't mean that that is going to, that is going to last. Like part of, part of the end of one experience is you're an end of one in a moment of time, right? Because of all of the other, all of the variables that exist in your life. Like there's going to be, you know, periods of time based off of your stress, based off your nutrition, where you're going to respond differently. There's going to be periods of time based off of your strength balance and all that stuff and how novel an exercise is and all that stuff that's going to, you know, only be like, you know, really effective for a certain window of time. So you can't get, you can't get attached to the results that you got in the past. You can't get attached to the results that you're getting now. I mean, I see that a lot of times, you know, and in terms of people burning themselves out on a program that, you know, maybe like the first few weeks or whatever, it was working like really, really well. And then what will happen is that program will stop producing results, but they're so attached to the fast results they got at one point in time that they'll just keep grinding and grinding away, not getting results because they just believe that things are magically going to go back to, you know, how they were. Um, and that's, that's just, <laughs> that's just not the reality of, you know, of things. Um, and the other thing is just to be, I would say, be humble, about how much you really know about what your program is working and whatnot. Like we, like I said earlier, like we are, we are complex systems doing, you know, a complex program. Um, And our ability to know exactly which exercises are producing the most results and what things or whatever is very, very small because like our lives are very uncontrolled. So you can't have an ego about what's working. And I think what we naturally do is like we want to associate either the thing that we 
enjoy the most or the thing, the aspect that we feel is the most difficult, like the thing that we suffered the most for, we want to believe that made a difference because of how hard it was or how hard we worked to overcome it. Like we want to believe that the juice was worth the squeeze. Right. And sometimes it just wasn't right. You know, like if somebody's trying to lose body fat or whatever, you know, it, it wasn't that one time that they like pushed the prowler until they puked or whatever that got them lean, right? It was the consistent little things that they did all over the time, right? But what, they want to, but what we want to believe like instinctively, because we want to just like, we want to have this kind of internal reward system that like, man, if we suffered and we worked really hard, that was the thing that made the difference, right? That's why we're so, that's why we love sports, right? Because we can see the accumulation of all that hard work play off in a really short window of time, right? But, you know, if a guy runs a little bit faster than the other, it's not just because he tried a little harder that day, right? Or just one. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it was the years of training and, and consistency or whatever that allowed him to do that, you know, just be the better person, you know, on that one day, all of that preparation. And there's a, there was, you know, tons of different things that went into that that worked at one period of time and then that or whatever. But it's the accumulation of all of that. And so just remember that's where you're at. The results that you have accumulation of everything that you've been doing it's extremely hard to know what things and we're very very biased in terms of what we want to believe is the is is the magic pill you know on our journey right so not everything is that three minute rocky montage that gives you the results <laughs> in the world like you see in the 80s movies where nothing mattered before but then all of a sudden they go to that training camp for a week and all of a sudden they're, they're ready to take on the world and that's often a yeah I see that a lot in the challenges. When I do yeah. challenges, you know, I get people angry that, you know, other people got a more dramatically visual result. I'm like, well, yeah, they've been training for 10 years and they have a lot of muscle mass. Of course, they're going to look a bit bit more dramatic. Um, something. People, you like comic books. People want the Marvel experience, right? They want to be bit by the radioactive spider or, or, or whatever it is, right? They I'm want, they want that. that. They want that moment where all of a sudden something happens and it changes their character arc just like radically, right? Like that, that, that's, that's, that's what they want. They want that superhero experience where it's like, oh man, I did that one three minute little drill, right? And then all of a sudden that was the thing that like my glutes just transformed that one day. Right? No, that's not how it happened. Oh, well, I mean, you could go on the Captain America super, super serum or whatever. Some people do. <laughs> um, so something obviously we need to chat about is probably the exercise that has been, you know, talked about a lot. One of the most talked about exercises the last few years, and um, it is the good old famous Cass glute bridge. Um, so Cass Sim, Cassim Hansen. So Cassim was the one who, um, what, what, when was it? Yeah, 2018, I think. Um, I hung out with Cassim in Sydney and he took, Lauren, my girlfriend, Lauren Simpson, through a workout and he was just kind of showing us his, I guess, his interpretation of how to more so bias the glutes through a thrust slash bridge. Um, and then from there, Cassim was calling it a bridge because he was trying to obviously do it in a little bit different way, less momentum and more control and a shorter range of motion. And then you were just calling it a glute bridge. <laughs> it wasn't any special name on it. And then from there, I took a while. I was like, oh, that's really cool. And then what happened was, and this is where I get so many people say stuff, oh, as you say, oh, how dare Kasim call it after himself and all this stuff, which again, you didn't, um, was I started to write in my programs, in my online clients' programs, was hip thrust, 
top range, no momentum, keep shins vertical, control up. And it was just this, this endless kind of list of things instead of, you know, and I was just like, this is the most inefficient way to write an exercise. You know, you just want someone to go, yep, boom, this. And even just the tempo, the tempo obviously is different when you're trying to say, you know, limit momentum and, you know, talking about the shin staying vertical. And that's where I start to write um, Cass glute bridge after, you know, to kind of name it after you. And because I just wanted my online clients to straight away go, what exercise is my program? Cool, this. And that was that, you know. Mm-hmm. The goal of being an online coach is just have your clients actually understand what the hell they're trying to do. And sometimes if you just make them instantly read something, it goes, well, that makes sense. I don't want to read 37 different things um, to work out what to do. And then with that, obviously, I put that in my online clients programmed. And then, um, you know, we you obviously had it on social media just as a glute bridge. And then I started to reference it as the cast. And then it started to kind of become known and stuff like that. So I guess, firstly, do you want to explain, I guess, your interpretation of why you you went towards this over, I guess, the more traditional thrust and what was your reasoning and um then we can also go into maybe talking a bit more about you know length and versus short and biased exercises well i mean even a hip thrust i would still consider to be a relatively small range of motion right like it's you know it's not even close to the length and position right and the bottom of a hip thrust is like that's not where the glutes are doing their most work anyway, right? Like you have more quads and stuff going on when you're initiating above the floor. So a couple things with it is, is like one, like to get people to initiate the movement with their glutes, not coming off the floor, like significantly improve that. Cause they base their glutes would already like kind of be loaded when they're kind of only, you know, in the mid range of that movement. Right. So they could basically just initiate with, their glutes and nothing else and just, and, and come up from there. Um, and to me with that loading pattern, the only benefit, the only place that there's like significant resistance is the top portion. And I'm never like going to use an exercise like that is it's like, Hey, this is my main driver of hypertrophy. I have all of these other exercises that are going to be working the other ranges of the motion. So it's like, okay, if I, if the, if the person is able to engage their glutes better by not going as deep, um, if we're able to keep the tension relatively higher, right. And just the overall client experience, you know, is better controlling that tempo or whatnot. And I can keep it very consistent between individuals and whatnot, especially like, cause I mean, I was using this, you know, more in like, you know, as a finisher or metabolic style training stuff, like similar to what you're doing and whatnot. And so being able to kind of have more of a constant tension technique works really well for that type of it, for that type of a stimulus. Right. Um, and so all of those things together, like that just seemed to be the best way to kind of load that, that, that pattern. Right. I didn't see any benefit in the bottom portion of the range. Like, unless your goal is just literally to be, to be good at that. Um, I basically just look at this like, man, other exercises are just so much better for the, the length or the mid portion of, you know, hip extension. Would you say in the, when I kind of look at, you know, the cascade bridge again, People then come on and say, well, they're, they're saying this is the best exercise in the world, which you and me definitely have never said. It's, you know, it's, a, mm-hmm. it's an exercise that we use in an arsenal of glute exercises. Mm-hmm. You know, the way I kind of look at it is obviously being 
a very short and base exercise. So, you know, if you're training the quads, leg extension, leg extension is one real way to train, you know, the quads in that really shortened position. But are you just going to be choosing a leg extension? No, you're going to be using a lot of other exercises as well to train, obviously, the quads in that um, stretch position or leg extension, obviously, shortened position. When it comes to, I guess, hip thrust or even in general exercise that train the short in position harder with more and more research saying, you know, obviously the length in positions, a great place to be from what we've seen. And then people really not saying the short in position matters all that much, but correct me if I'm wrong, even though the length in position seems to, you know, have good research surrounding it, that it does lead to growth. We still see growth in shortened position exercises, it's not there's zero growth in shortened position exercises. And the way I kind of do it is, you know, I train people with a fair bit of frequency. And so therefore, if I'm training glutes three times a week or something like that, you don't want every single day to have endless heavy stretch-based movements, which are probably going to lead to a bit more soreness. Therefore, a short and base exercise is probably going to be a lot less soreness, and it's just another way to train the glutes. And again, it's a collection of movements we're trying to train. We're trying to train the you know um, glutes in that stretch position through you know a lunge, uh, uh, a hip hinge, and then we've got the you know the bridge thrust. When looking at a workout as a whole, how much glute are you looking at targeting through? a lengthened base, so stretch-based versus shortened base? Like, is there a range that you're kind of looking? Is it like a three to one, three for three for lengthened, one for shortened? Or do you have a kind of a range you're looking at? In general, I'm using about, like, if I'm in a, a block that's specifically focusing on hypertrophy, right? It's a mechanical tension type stimulus that we're going for. I'm probably going to use around 70% of my volume in the lengthened to mid-lengthened-ish, you know, position right? And about 30th percent, you know, in the, in the shorter or whatever. Right. So, so that means if I'm doing 12 sets, I might do eight lengthened and, and four shortened or something, you know, like that. It's not exactly the right math there, but you kind of get the idea. And then when I'm doing metabolic phases for people, like I'm, I'm periodizing that end, a lot of times I will, I will flip that, or sometimes I'll avoid the lengthened altogether. Right. Like there's a, like, there's a lot of ideas, around you know potential periodization right now periodization is one of the things where we just really don't have a lot of good research you know either direction on it and um there's no research on periodizing like the stimuli like the way that we do it at n1 right so there's like i mean we're basically going off of mechanistic data and you know that observation anecdote or whatever but i mean our in-house data i think is very very good and you know our clients' results speak for that. But generally, if I'm going to be periodizing, that gives me then a little bit more leeway in terms of how much length and stuff I could push, knowing that I'm going to get a break. But a lot of it's going to come down to how you do the program. So like, I'd stop me if I get too technical on this stuff. But lengthened exercises, if you look at just a per set basis, are likely going to have a better hypertrophy response. Right. Like if you just like, okay, one set of one versus one set of the other, 10 set of one, 10 set of the other. And that's your only measuring stick. But lengthened exercises also cause more fatigue. Right. And so there's, there's only a certain amount that you can do within a given workout 
there's only a certain amount that you can do within a given week, right? And be able to recover from that, right? So it's going to impact your frequency. It's going to impact your volume per session and stuff like that. Um, so shortened exercises tend to be much easier to recover from. The fatigue, like the metabolic fatigue is it's very, like, it's high in the very acute moment. Like, like if you, you finish, you know, a set of, you know, cast glute bridges to absolute failure or whatever, right. Like you're going to be like walking, you know, weird for, you know, the next, you know, 10, 30 seconds or something like that. But, you know, a few minutes goes by and then, you know, you're good to go again. Like it's like, you can perform again, where if you, if you do something like, you know, if you take a really lengthened exercise, like a, you know, like a deep set of, you know, glute bias split squats or something to failure what you'll notice is that your performance set to set to set really starts to drop over the course of the workout right and then the you know and the fatigue that you're going to have the rest of the day the soreness and the doms and all that stuff is going to be is going to be to a much greater degree so one of the benefits of short exercises because they aren't they don't contribute nothing to the hypertrophy equation right they just they just deliver a smaller dose but that dose may be very efficient in terms of, Hey, it's more stimulus and it's not much more fatigue. So this means this is volume and stimulus that you can add that isn't necessarily going to interfere with your frequency. Right. You know, and you're going to be able to recover from it. And would you the say, other like, th- uh, sorry, just on that or talking about fatigue, something like a cast glute bridge or a kickback being more short and focused. Again, I find talking from fatigue it generally feels a bit more localized fatigue as well just to that tissue whereas you're doing a lot of yes. squats lunges heavy you know rdls yeah it's stretch based but it seems a bit more you know systemically fatiguing on your whole body so i feel like you know, especially in a fatigue state or even in a prep at the end of a prep or something like that when your your energy is quite low being able to fatigue again just a bit more di- directly to that tissue we're trying to train and also um globally it can also be a probably a, a positive thing at times so there's this 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 thing that happens in the body and it's pretty much consistent across the whole thing when a joint is getting to its stretched range there's the most redundancy in terms of things that can pull it out of the stretch right so that means when you're in a lengthened position all of the synergists and whatnot have a greater ability to help from the most stretch position. When you get towards a very, very short position for a joint, the synergists are now actually more indirect with each other. So your ability to like kind of bias what's working is greater in the short position. So your ability to be very, very specific with what you're working is greater in the short position. And that's probably kind of what you're, what you're finding there, right? Is, is that, Hey, if I'm doing this, you might only feel it in that one very localized spot, right? Because the closer you get to the short position, like it's, you know, it's very, very targeted. Um, the glutes, like, because they're layered or a little bit hard to visualize, but the pecs are a great example of this is like, you have some pecs that pull up towards your clavicle. You have some pecs that pull straight across. And then you have some pecs that kind of pull down to like, you know, the ribs that are just the side of your sternum. When you're in the bottom of a dumbbell press and all of like your shoulders are back, all of those fibers are close to the same direction in terms of being able to pull your shoulder forward. But if you bring your arm like all the way across your body, some of those are pulling almost straight up. Some of them are pulling almost straight down. And then some of them like, so it's covering almost like almost 180 
degrees of different directions in the short position, but in the lengthened position, they're all actually all, they're getting almost parallel to each other. Right. And so the same principle happens like with your glute stuff or whatever. It's like, okay, if you get to a specific angle of hip extension, right? Like say you're doing like an iliac glute kickback or something, you know, or a glute meet or whatever, like as you're starting to get into that short position, the fibers that are directly lined up become fewer and fewer and more and more and more specific. Right. So it allows you to be very specific. So if there's just a particular area that you want to fatigue, right. You can go after that because, you know, like if, you know, Wednesday, you're still training glutes, but you're going to be training different divisions of glutes. You'll be fine because you won't fatigue, have fatigued the division that you're, you know, you're working. Right. So short positions, less fatiguing just in general on the tissue, but because you get to be more specific, specific, you can be very, you can like be laser pointed with what little fatigue you do actually induce. Yeah. So that's something in talk in reference kind of, obviously when you're shortening that muscle, you generally notice a, a little bit more. That's why, again, I also have found with the cast glute bridge, why it's been so popular with people, women, especially obviously doing my programs and through N1 and stuff like that is that a lot of people going to hip thrust, obviously they struggle to feel the hip thrust. They feel their quads, they feel their hamstrings. And all of a sudden, just by spending even one or two phases doing say a cast glute bridge, showing the range of motion, they build up again, that mind muscle connection. Not that, that we know that's everything by any means, but it's always a nice feeling, especially for someone who's never really felt their glutes to start to feel them. They start to feel them contract. They f- start to feel them throughout the entire entirety of the movement. They start to feel like they're what's fatiguing and not just their quads or hamstrings. And then by doing say even four, eight weeks of the cascade bridge, what I found is that then when we transition back to full range hip thrust, again, as full range as you can with a hip thrust, then their ability to actually, again, feel their glutes, has improved a lot um, on the hip thrust. And then they start to enjoy the hip thrust more as well. So that's why, again, I'm also a really big fan of shortened bias movements because not that it's everything, but it still allows for someone to often feel something working, which can be really nice, especially in a fatigue state or you get a pump for the first time, you feel something, it feels a bit more rewarding. You feel like, hey, well, you know, I'm actually working something. And then I think it has a, you know, that chain reaction effect of then as you increase the range and range and range, you start to have a better sense of actually feeling that working muscle. Yeah. I think short position exercises are the easiest place to improve your mind muscle connection. Right. And, and your ability to feel a muscle because you're essentially learning to just squeeze the crap out of that muscle. Right. And once, once you're learn once you learn that, right, then, you know, starting from a lengthened position, you know, the destination you're trying to get to in terms of that contraction, right. Versus if you've never really done that before, you don't like, you're just, you're, you're probably just focusing on moving the load with everything that you can. Right. And so you're not trying to get to, you might be trying to get to a bar path destination, but you're not trying to get to a contraction destination. Cause you, you just, you're just ignorant to what that actually is, unless you've actually been there and spent time there and made it work. Well, I could talk about the class cast glute bridge all day, especially shortened by bias movements. What um obviously we've spoken for a while. It's by far my longest podcast. I, I said to Cass and I was like the other day when we were chatting, I was like, Oh, let's see if I can get, you know, forty five minutes or something out of myself with this conversation. And he said, Oh, I don't think I've ever been under an hour. I was like, Well, let's see how we go. <laughs> I'm a short talker, but we're almost I think we're almost close to two hours. So 
I'm I'm very impressed. So thanks, Kasim. Um, so I guess one of the exercise, um, one of the questions I want to finish with is something I often think a lot about is where do you kind of see the industry going in the next few years? Because I feel like it's changed a lot. Some good, some bad. Do you do you feel like do you feel like the industry is improving the fitness industry in general from a standpoint of a coach's perspective or uh you know, every in the media perspective and do you kind of envision things changing or what, what, what are your thoughts kind of the next few years? I mean, right now I feel like, you know, compared to the past, there's just more of everything. There's more good coaches, but there's also more bad coaches. There's just, it's everything is just more. I don't think that like, I don't think that the fitness industry evolved in the same way that it grew, if that makes, makes sense. Right. Um, I do think, I do think that potentially with like, with like AI coming in and stuff like that, that it's going to maybe force some people to get a little bit better. Cause like pretty soon, like AI is going to be able to write training programs and people or people are just going to be able to put a thing or whatever. Right. Cause I mean, it's going to, it's going to just based off of probability. So every program that's ever been put online, AI is going to be like, Oh, okay, this is what this person needs. Right. Um, and it'll be able to do that in a second. So I think maybe there's a little bit of pressure from there. I mean, I'm hoping that that works out like, you know, you know, for the, for the good. Um, but it's interesting. Like my fear is that we're going to continue to bifurcate into like, you know, this camp, that camp, you know, whatnot. But I do see that also, people are a little fed up with that. Like, you know, like there's a certain, there's a certain group of people that just, you know, they want everything to come back together and then find the middle ground and be able to have the nuanced conversations and whatnot. And, you know, that's what, that's, those are, those are the things that I'm trying to push for. Um, but you know, the way social media is, it's just so easy to create like your, your, your little tribe and just of, of people. And then just, you know, basically become close minded to everything, you know, or everything else. But I do think like take example, CrossFit, for example, right? Like remember when CrossFit came out and like, you know, you basically had people that did CrossFit and then you had people that like to, you know, make fun and hate on, on CrossFit. Right. I and so it was that. like, yeah, it was the redheaded stepchild, you know, of fitness. Right. And eventually what came around is people are like, yeah, you know, some people are going to like this. It has its pros, it has its cons or whatever, but like, like I would, we've accepted that. Like you and I wouldn't program like that, but like we're, we're, you know, we're, you know, probably whatever, you know, six years ago or whatever, we were probably like joking about how, you know, how stupid the you know, was or whatever, but now it's like, okay, the industry becomes more accepting. I think of ideas and stuff once they reach a certain threshold. And so I could kind of see it going either way, but that's the direction I hope is, is that, okay, enough of this stuff starts to become more common knowledge. And that's what actually ultimately leads to all of the tribes having to kind of be a little bit more accepting of things. And that's when I think that we will evolve proportionate to the growth. Right. But I think right now with the temptation to like with content getting copied and watered down, like that you know, it doesn't matter how much better, like I could come up, like I invest, you know, I got a hundred thousand dollars worth of lab equipment and all this stuff. Like I can do all of the things that I want to try and figure everything possible that I can about exercise. Right. But if that then message gets like copied and diluted down to basically information that's barely valuable, 
I don't know that that's necessary. Yeah. I don't know that that's necessarily better because that stuff becomes more viral. And so I'm competing with my own stuff, but a watered down version that has a greater reach than I'm actually capable of. Right. So until, until I've, until we kind of find a solution for that, it's kind of like the top of the industry is always going to be dragging this anchor of just what is popular on social media, right. Kind of distracting people away from, you know, the nuance or whatever. I mean, what's nice is everything's accessible. So people can, people can take the initiative to look deeper and learn, you know, people have online education sources or whatever, right. You have your programs, you have your online courses. I have my online courses. We have our practicals and our programs and all that stuff. So there's, it's never been easier for people to access better information if they want it, but it's also never been easier to choose to just look at the shiny things and, and not choose to learn. (laughs) Yeah. That's uh, as you said, there's a lot more people now, so there's, the good can be magnified, the bad can be magnified. That's you know what happens when there's a lot more people. I personally think that there's so much more great content out there these days. Like you know, look at look at the stuff you post on social media, and you know I, I like to think some of the stuff I post on social media. The stuff we have to give away for free these days just to have people notice you and. It's just, you know, I'm sure you could have made like, you know, five times the courses than anyone out there five years ago with just, just your content. You know, I always think, man, like the stuff I talk about now that gets a few hundred likes people don't even like is stuff that, you know, people used to pay you thousands of dollars to learn. And now it's just so accessible and people are like, oh, cool. And people have to give away so much, which I think a lot of coaches screw themselves over from a business sense because they give everything away too much. And, and, you know, it's a race to the bottom, but I find people then though can still be given, you know, a plethora of options and choices and they can see what's good pretty easily. But again, you still need to make those decisions like going to the grocery store and being, Hey, do I want to go to the healthy aisle? Do I want to go to the the chocolate aisle and make those choices? So I find it's just, it's still just going to be kind of magnified. People are going to ever want to dive into, you know, and want to learn, which is not always the easiest thing, but probably the best long-term, but then you're still always going to get your influencer. You know, I want to look like that person. So therefore I'm going to train, train with their program, even though they're not an actual coach, they're not qualified and stuff like that. So it's one of those things, the industry where it's just, yeah, the good will be the good. The bad will be the bad. It's always going to be there. It's just going to keep being magnified. I think, as you said. Yeah. I think it's very hard for us to be aware of what the, what everything is out there because what we see is curated, right? Like what you see on social media is it's curated for you. The algorithm and everything that you see is like curated for you. Right. And we don't necessarily hang out in the seedy, you know, dark alleys of where like the worst of fitness occurs or whatever. Right. Um, So, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to like turn to you and make you pessimistic. I'm just saying that like, you know, if I just, if I just pay attention to my circle, I'm like, yeah, you know, things are, things are significantly better than they were. But I also know that like my, the perspective that I get to see, right. Is not necessarily representative of, of, of fitness as a whole. And then you occasionally like you can venture out and see that. Um, 
and I don't know if you've ever been one when you've been to the U.S., but sometimes when we get people here, like internationally, what you know, what have people do is like, hey, go to a Walmart, which is like the U.S. version of a huge box store where like they sell sell everything, right? But like, it's just kind of a thing where like, look, you know, the people that go and hang out at Walmart are not necessarily, you know the people that you would just like, I'm, I'm going to get canceled for this or whatever, you know, but they're not like, you know, the people that you would like expect to be in like a high end, you know, high class, you know, expensive brandy store or whatever. Right. You know, it, it, it tends, it tends to like be more of a representative of like, okay, I forgot that these people exist because, you know, I'm just at my job and I go to the gym and then I hang out with my friends or whatever. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh yeah, that is not a representation of the, of the average person. Like you actually, you have to like, you have to go places Then we'd have to do this in the same thing, fitness industries. Like when's the last time you went to like a, you know, a cheap 24 hour gym thing or whatever, where there's like no trainers that are like, so when I oh, travel, that's, that's where I train. We, we don't all have our yeah. luxury private facility. That's what I, was oh, gonna oh. Say, I was gonna say that I was like, <laughs> go to commercial gyms around the world. You know, I was in America last year and you know, yeah there'll be 10 trainers at a gym and you know i chances are that you know there might be one slightly educated and that's why you know we get this perception and especially for yourself you know you're having these intelligent debates with you know people very very smart very very successful and you see people get commented on and you know you might have you know a couple hundred thousand followers and you know other people you might be having debates with you know have a hundred fifty thousand followers which is a lot of people you know for us but then you see someone putting out the worst stuff and they've got eight million followers you know juice cleansers yep. and stuff like that so i feel like we're always going to be the minority you know and you know the celery stuff and all that stuff that's always going to be mainstream it just is what it is and you know we're always going to attract a certain type of person but the funny thing is majority of trainers is, you know I've, i was watching unfortunately i had to watch something the other day on tv and it was like a celebrity trainers and people think oh celebrity trainer they must be amazing no, no, they are the, yeah, you know, and it's, oh, but they train Chris Hemsworth. Yeah, that doesn't mean too much, you know. So that's the funny thing with like, you know, the industry is that, yeah, education and quality training, the stuff, you know, we try to talk about, you know, it's never going to probably be as as easy to sell as, you know, mainstream stuff you see on TV. No, it'll, it'll, nev- it, it'll never be that way, but I think it's really cool that, you know, it's more accessible now than, than ever before. Right. Like, you know, yeah. And there's, and there's more, there's more options, right. Then there's, there's more options for education. You know, I have my opinions on, on different ones of them or whatever, but still it's like, you know, if I look back at like, there's no course that I took coming up that I'm like, Oh man, that, that course was just a hundred percent awesome. Whatever. Like everything that I, at this point, every course that I took, I can look back at it now. Like, yeah, well, maybe it wasn't so good, but at the time, it was great. And I'm sure I'll look back that, you know, at, at the stuff that we're doing now, you know, in a couple of years, like, oh, yeah, we could have done that a little bit better. Yeah. That's just, that's just going to be the nature of it. But it's, I mean, you can, it's never been easier to be an educated trainer or an educated fitness enthusiast. Right. Um, it's just, it's more in your control. It's more accessible than it ever has. So that part I'm, I'm optimistic that the people that want to do good in this industry, have 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 the best opportunity to do it now than than they've ever had before. I can I can confidently say that. One hundred percent. Um, I guess to wrap up, speaking of education and courses and stuff like that, what is the 
the future for N1 Education, your company, and I guess w- w- what's the plan for the next year or two? Where do you see yourself go- going? And yeah, what's up? What's coming up? Um, our my main goal is to be expanding our curriculum. Um, I mean, we you know we had just the biomechanics and the program design courses, you know, for quite some time. And now we're starting to add more kind of like nuanced courses for specialty topics. Like, you know, like for instance, we have the most comprehensive course on progressive overload. A lot of people look at it and it's like, Oh, this is super simple or whatnot. Um, you know, but we look into like all the different things and the nuances of training to failure and stuff like that. And so basically kind of delivering the N one experience on like some of these more specialty topics and getting into special populations and stuff like that. That's, that's big on the agenda. And the other thing is just trying to get into more collaborations um, with people where I, you know, I want to, I want to be the promoter for the, you know, the market of different ideas. Right. So it's just like, okay, you know, like this thing that we have here in March with Pat Davidson, who is, not necessarily somebody that, you know, aligns a hundred percent with what we agree with or whatnot. But I think, you know, the best way to kind of like, you know, move the industry forward is to have those competing ideas in the same room, you know, and have that discourse and whatnot. And I, you know, I think every, everybody wins um, when that happens, when people go their separate ways and don't have discourse and just kind of like, you know, throw shit posts at each other or whatever like passive aggressively i think that's that's the most unproductive thing right because all it does is divide your followers up into like into teams and whatnot you know and some people that's you know they refuse to do it any other way but that's that's a that's a big thing um of mine and then you know we've been doing a ton of research stuff on the background um i can't give too much of it away but like uh like we have been looking a lot more into the length and position which is you know allowed us to upgrade, you know, some of our quote unquote optimal positions, if you will, or whatever. But I mean, every time we can make something better, it ends up being easier to teach. It ends up being easier to perform, you know, just everything about it's better. So it's like, it's amazing how as good as our stuff is. Sometimes it's like we find one more cue or one slight little setup change and all of a sudden, man, you know, I thought this was good before and now, now it's so much better. Um, so in our practicals, we've just started teaching basically like the end of every year we do like we we don't do practicals we just go like head first research only mode so that then when we start doing practicals again like in the next year we whatever upgrades we're going to like make to the curriculum we've been able to kind of like fire hose those into you know uh, the whole team um so i'm excited i'm excited for that uh and we started doing the program design practicals again this year as well Um, We didn't do any of those in 2020 or 2021. Um, Like our last one was like shortly before like the pandemic. And then we hadn't done any, we've just done biomechanics. So we just did one of those went really well. And then we got another one of those in September coming up. So I think, you know, you'll see a lot more program design content from us. Um, Not because the biomechanics isn't still extremely important. um, But just because I think like we've gotten to a point now where we can kind of expand our message and whatnot. I mean, you've taken both courses. What's funny is I actually would consider myself more of a program design connoisseur, right? Like that's actually, that was my skill as a coach is I was really, really good at designing programs. And I still think that's where it is. But I think that in order to design really, really good programs, you have to understand the nuts and bolts with what you're working with. Right. So it's like, I had to become 
a quote. I don't know if I want to self-proclaim myself as an expert, but I, I mean, I think, well, I think I do the best at what we do. Um, but it's not technically a biomechanics expert, right? Cause there's much more to biomechanics than what we do. But I think in that, in that aspect, it's like that empowers people to make programs and stuff so much better. So then when you apply the programming knowledge, it just takes it to another level, right? Like when, when the reps are better, right. Then the sets are better then the sessions are better then the program is better. All of that stuff. Right. Yeah. I think if there's one thing I guess I'd say from knowing Catherine for years is that you'll never find someone who wants to learn more why you're doing something and then question why that's always been done that way. Is that really the be- the best thing? And just because it's always been done that way, then be like, well, why do you have to do that way? And then, you know, start thinking outside the box. And for myself, again, learning from Kasim for years, it's it makes you kind of question yourself. And that's one of the things, you know, with education, you know, spend money on courses and you think, oh, cool, I've learned this. I'm great. And then later on you do another course. And you're like, ah, oh, shit, I was, that, that was crap. And it's, it's one of those things of constantly trying to leave your ego at home and be like, oh, you know, every, t- every time I find you feel like you're on top of something, you then learn something that then makes that kind of house crumble again. Then you need to relearn and relearn and relearn. But in the end, it doesn't feel like it at the time, but it actually what makes you become a better coach. As frustrating as it can can sometimes be, because obviously your confidence goes up and down and up and down as a coach. That's for sure for me. Um, so to finish, Kasim, where can everyone find you? And is there any courses coming up soon? And are you are you going are you guys going to be traveling, or is it just all going to be now at the N one base? I mean, for right now, I mean, we can just deliver such a better coaching experience. Like at the, I mean, we have we have we have all the equipment. We have total control of the gym. It's built. It's this this whole facility is built just to do the practical. Like everything in here is designed just to be able to do the practical as good as possible. Um, so I'm not saying that we won't have any travels, but right now we're, we're pretty booked like with just getting people here. Um, and it's, it's hard for me to justify going and teaching it somewhere else when basically I just feel like it's so much easier to deliver the best quality event consistently here. Right. So, but there are plenty of people trying to get me to travel, but I'm just no, no promises. Um, in terms of upcoming events, uh, you know, we we have biomechanics practicals pretty regularly. Um, so we have uh, the next one that's not sold out, I believe, is in June. And then and then another one in September. The September for anybody that's international, that one, it, it has, the biomechanics and the program design are back-to-back weeks, right? And that's one of the biggest requests that we get from the international people is just like, hey, if we can make it so that they only have to fly over once, right? So if you do that, you get to basically spend like eight days in Colorado. It's a beautiful time to be here, mountains and stuff, you know, all that jazz. So um, if that's, that's something you want to do, we have that, we have that in uh, September. And then in terms of where you can find us, uh, we're on Instagram, coach underscore Casim, M1 education, M1 training, uh, and on, on YouTube. Um, and we're going to be doing a lot more on YouTube, uh, this year. Like I think long form content is going to be something we're really focusing on. So if you like free content and you want a little bit more nuance than what we can be delivered on Instagram, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube. I'll put um Kasim's links up to N1 and obviously Kasim's Instagram and their websites as well, guys, for you. And yeah, so Kasim, 
Thank you. We've been talking about finally doing this for a long time. So it's an absolute pleasure to have you on, mate. Um, yeah, good long chat. There's a record for me by a long way, but thank you. It's a, as I said, pleasure to have you and my audience. I know will appreciate it, mate. My pleasure. It's great to see you. Thanks, buddy.